HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode of Cooking Issues is brought to you by Bob's Red Mill, an employee-owned company that has been offering organic stone ground products for decades. Their flours and whole grains are the highest quality and are minimally processed at their stone mill in Oregon. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use Cooking Issues 25 for 25% off your order. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, our weekly food news roundup. Fall is finally here, so it's time to get funky and devote an episode to some of our favorite spunky microbes. Fungi just provide this beautiful, whimsical lens on how the world works. They have so many roles. They're this strange and magical-seeming group of organisms, but they've got it all figured out. Should you eat the cheese rind? Can you eat the rind? These are like the biggest questions. We'll answer all of your questions about mysterious mushrooms and crazy curds. Plus, we'll give you a sneak listen to the newest season of Modernist Breadcrumbs. So tune in to this week's Meet and 3 on Heritage Radio Network, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Dave Arnold, your host of Cooking Issues, coming to you live on the Heritage Radio Network every Tuesday from, you know, actually, I was here on time today. From like 12. Hey, crap on you. 12. Like 12.45. One. We didn't start on time. Not my fault. I was truly thrown. Matt. Matt in the booth. I was here on time, correct? Oh, before, one minute ahead of time. I turned it. I looked at you and I was like, oh my God, you're early. Yeah, and, and where was I live? Here in Bushwick, Brooklyn. Joined as usual with Nastasia, the Hammer Lopez. Good. Matt in the booth. Hello, hello. Call in all of your cooking or beta mail related questions to 718-497-2128. That's 718-497-2128. How you been doing over the past week, uh, Nastasia? Fine. How I feel you? like we've had a lot of crap. Didn't we do a lot of crap? No. Did it just feel like we did yeah. a lot of crap? No, we did the farm. We talked about that. Yeah. What else? No, I had so many events last week. We did. I did Taste of New York. You already talked about that. Huh. So I'll, I feel like I had an event every, like, every day last week. Hmm, maybe not. Guess what I did do this weekend? You went to Connecticut. And you well, that's not the important. Pokers. Red Hot Pokers. It's going to be Red Hot Poker season soon. I have a slightly new technology with the Red Hot Pokers. And when I posted on the Instajerk that I was going to, uh, that I was making the Red Hot Pokers, everyone was like, can I make one? Can I make one? I was like, well, you can, but they're super dangerous. <laughs> how, many times did, how many times did I have massive problems before I finally figured it out, Anastasia? Uh, many. Dude, yeah. What are they? 
Oh, that's an excellent question, Matt. What is a red-hot poker? Well, I'm glad you asked. It turns out that in uh, pre-Civil War uh, America, um, you know, one of the good things that was happening in pre-Civil War America is when you went into a tavern in the wintertime and you ordered a hot drink, they would go into the fireplace and they'd take what's called a flip dog or an andiron, which is like a hunk of metal, out of the fireplace and they'd shove it into your tankard of garbage. Your tankard of garbage might be, you know, beer plus brandy or cider plus some other kind of brandy. You know, maybe some sugar in it and blah, blah, blah. Heat it up with the Red Hot Poker and that's how they'd heat the drink because, you know, they had fireplaces and they had pokers, so the Red Hot Poker. So in the early 2000s, a lot of, when a lot of bartenders were worried about recreating a lot of uh, old drinks, one of the ones that kind of no one was recreating because who the hell had a fireplace in a New York City bar was uh, this kind of old school was called Flip with a Flip Dog with a, with a Red Hot Poker. Um, they're also called loggerheads, uh, the genesis of the term to be at loggerheads. Nastasia's heard this story 8,000 times. That's why you hear her hissing in the background. The fact of the matter is, Nastasia, like, your job here, Nastasia, isn't to sit around and have fun. I know you think that I you're... know. I'm just, right, I'm, right, I'm just concerned about everybody who listens who has also heard this. Well, story. excuse me. Matt has not heard it. Some of us are new here. You mm-hmm. might have new fans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now that you've pivoted to talking mostly about beta males, you've got a whole new audience. <laughs> yeah, 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 right. <laughs> uh, okay, so anyways, so um, at this start of, uh, sort of drink started fading out of uh, the picture as taverns with fireplace, working fireplaces, um, started fading out. And that drink kind of faded out. But it turns out that super high heat creates these kind of cool flavors. So then, I don't know, like 10, more than 10 years ago, or you know, thereabouts, I started playing around with trying to figure out how to do this. And eventually, so the, the main problem is, uh, you know, originally we were literally heating slugs of metal up on, you know, our commercial stoves. Again, not very good for a bar. So I tried to make one that could heat itself. And uh, a lot of hilarity ensued as I blowed, uh, you know, I made ones that exploded and all these other things. You're, you've seen them explode, right? Yes. Nastasia? It's nasty. And nasty. You don't want to see one explode. Or they just burn themselves out. Um, so I finally found a, you know, years ago, I finally found an exact heater at an exact wattage that it is hot enough to heat the drink, in fact, to ignite it, um, on a pretty regular basis, not so hot that it will explode and they last for about a month during service. So every year I build a set of these red hot pokers and we use them at the bar and we're going to try them at existing conditions. Uh, although you know, with the number of seats we have, I think we're going to have to raise the price just so that people don't order too many of them. Because if they order, you know, if you have like, you know, 80 people in there and, you know, 15 of them order Red Hot Pokers at the same time, it'll shut the bar down. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. so we got to price it at that level where it's not going to like ruin service. Anyways. That makes sense to me. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome, Nastasia. Hey, so Nastasia, here's a question for you. Yes. So, uh, isn't the weirdest part, one of the weirdest parts about owning a business, just looking out at your... Well, you and I have a business together. Yeah, but, I mean, do we, we, don't, we, serve, we don't get to see... In other words, like a restaurant business. Yeah. It's like looking out and seeing the people who are at your place and being like... Those are my people? Like, who are these people? <laughs> Where did they come from? Hmm. I hope they're having a good time. You have a lot of dates there. 
Um, I guess you do not have a lot of pasta dates. dates. I'm going out on a date. Let's get some pasta. (laughs) (laughs) Let's pack carbs into our date. No? No. No. So what's your average person? Mm, Like single person eating quickly. Yeah. On the run, yeah. Yeah, beta male? No. (laughs) I regret. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I regret saying anything. But like, I don't know, like I look out and like, uh, what percentage of the people, not at your establishment, say you look out, I look out, what percentage of the people are enjoying what they're doing at any given minute. Don't you think about that when they're at, when they're at any sort of business or sort yeah, of restaurant? Yeah, I think are they having an okay time? Yeah, we want them to have a good time, right? That's why we went into this business is to have a good time. So you're looking out and you're like, is that person having a good time? Is that person having a good time? This is what I spend most of my time thinking about when I'm at the bar <laughs> looking out and I have that confused look on my face. That confused <laughs> look is looking at you and wondering... Are you having a good time? You know, you know, you know what I, mean? I was at Charlie Bird sitting on the sidewalk with Robert Bohr and Mark a couple of weeks ago. and That's uh, Mark Ladner yeah. and Robert, Robert Bohr. Bohr. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they have a lot of like sidewalk area, and there's these rats that want to like run up to the restaurant. Not people, like literal rats. Rats. Yeah. And Robert's favorite thing to do is to go chase after the rat on the sidewalk that's coming toward his restaurant and kick it. And I saw him kick one to death. Wait, wait. So, first <laughs> of all, of all first of all, I don't really know Robert. I mean, I've spoken to him, but you, I, I, he, I don't know him. He has anger. We, we, we'd all get along. <laughs> no, my, that's not my point. My point is, he must be a quick dude. Yeah. I didn't picture him as being a fast yeah, kind of a guy. he was fast. He kicked it straight into a tree. <laughs> First of all, first of all, first of all, first of all, what kind of shoes does he wear? He was in like these nice leather, like he was dressed for work. Like pointy Italian shoes? No, they weren't pointy Italian. They were, they were, but they were nice. They were not, they were not like sneakers or boots. Yeah, because he seems like a fancier person than I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wear, I'm a sneaks, I'm a sneaks kind of a dude. He kicked like it low... straight into a tree. It ran back toward him, and he kicked it straight back oh, at the tree. First of all, props to the rat. The <laughs> and rat... then it collapsed <laughs> the ra- dead. The rat's like, the rat's like, nah, nah, crap on you. Yeah. <laughs> it goes back towards yeah, him. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. I lost my mind. I was laughing so hard. Well, first of all, <laughs> it... I'm sure most people would be horrified. Yeah, if they people saw it. were like, "Is he with you?" And I was like, "He owns this place." <laughs> <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That's like so nostalgic. Do I know him? He owns this place. Not actually related, but. <laughs> He's like, yes, I do know him, but more importantly, the place that you're about to, you know, patronize is his place. And yes, the owner of this place kicks rats to death for fun. Before you go in, before you go in, I want you to know this dude. This is this guy here. He likes fancy wine, and he likes kicking rats to death. It says so on his freaking profile. How New York is that? You imagine. I saw it. <laughs> what kind of? What's his favorite kind of wine? He's by the way, he's a wine aficionado. He's not just a, speak for him. I don't know. You don't know? No. But is he like? Is I can he, guess, but I don't. I don't know. But is he like an old school like wine like liker, or is he yeah. like all this new like no, uh, he's natural old, stuff? Old, old, old. No, he hate. I'm not gonna speak for him. But like, I'm trying to imagine his personal profile. If he old, needed to have a personal profile, old, it was like old. I like first growth Bordeaux and kicking rats to death. <laughs> like, 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 what are they, like, you know. 
I'm trying to come up with like a <laughs> eHarmony profile for he him. He's happily married to <laughs> short and South Yeah, 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 I know that, but I'm just saying, like, if he weren't. <laughs> oh, jeez. <laughs> That'd be amazing. Okay, some questions. We have some questions. Uh, you know what you have to do first, I told you. Austin. We'll answer Austin's question, yes. Okay. Nastasia is so, uh, you know. You know what's funny? is like for some things, she's on me like a, a freaking, like a hawk, right? Why do they call it on you like a hawk? Is it on you like a hawk? Because they're like tracking mice, right? So in that, I'm the mouse. Mm-hmm. So like Robert Borer is going to fly out of the sky <laughs> and kick me with his shiny leather boot into a tree. And should I have the temerity to come back at him? He'll he will, right he will kick me to death. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> He's going to get all these like negative like PETA style things now. <laughs> Where did this, this come from? Why is this happening to me? <laughs> People also, I just want you to know, having known Nastasia for too many years, many, many years, this is probably not his favorite thing to do. Nastasia he probably said it made his year. <laughs> Again, Nastasia has a way of getting quotes out of people that are, let's say, let's say, not what they would ordinarily say if they weren't with Nastasia. Peter Kim, uh, oh director of the Museum of Food and Drink, and this show's favorite punching bag father, right, um, has said to me on many occasions that he does not like to have meetings with the two of us together oh, because yeah. we make each other much, much worse. He says he cannot have a constructive meeting if the two of us are there. You yeah. believe that? He, he says that you feed off of me, and then he can't get stuff done. Hmm. I believe that. All right. Thank <coughs> God that, like, not only do you guys have that power, but you also have a platform to broadcast that unedited. Whatever they, whatever you got out of somebody, you can tell the world. You know, it, thousands of people at once. Yeah, which is why you should never tell Nastasia anything. I keep secrets better than you do. What? I have Name so many a secret. I haven't told you. Name a secret I that I've lot. ever let out. I've oh, never I've never revealed a secret. Like, hey, don't say that and then I've never revealed a secret. Okay. I've never revealed I've revealed things that people haven't told me are secrets. But I've never revealed a secret because it just doesn't interest me to do so. Mhm. What's a secret I revealed? No, tell me I'm later. Not, yeah, I'll tell you later. <laughs> I'll tell you later. A secret that you said not to say. Yeah. No. I'll tell you later. Yeah, no. you have. No. No. Not the secrets. Anyway, go. All right. Austin writes in. Austin, our friend Austin, formerly of Booker and Dax, now of Major Domo. Great place. In Los Angeles. I had, that was a really fun dinner. <laughs> and that's saying a lot, because Nastasia, <laughs> A, there's two things that she doesn't really enjoy. She goes out a lot, used to, doesn't enjoy doing it, hates even more admitting that she likes a place especially if she's done business with one of the owners. If Nastasia has ever done business with one of the owners and she likes it, it's, it's a grudging like. True or false? True, but yeah. it's a really great place. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, although, it's in a weird neighborhood, right? Mm-hmm. It's like in, the, like it's in the middle of an industrial neighborhood. Makes Bushwick look like a residential neighborhood. <laughs> yeah. You know? This part of Bushwick. There is residential Bushwick. But this is not residential Bushwick. By the way, for any of you who listen to this who aren't New Yorkers, I still don't understand. Matt, wh- what neighborhood do you live in? How's that park? Yeah. Do you understand why anyone lives in this neighborhood? In this neighborhood? Yeah. 
Is this even a neighborhood? Like, who lives here? Yeah, no, I mean, yes, people do, I think, I gather, but no, I have no idea. I mean... Why would it, you do that? I don't, it's like an industrial park. For those of you that don't know, like, let's say you were driving down the highway in anywhere USA, and you just saw a bunch of industrial buildings with roll-ups and, like, garbage trucks parked outside of them and, like, the occasional trash on the side of the street. You've been to this neighborhood. Yeah, except it's, like, I don't know, many, many dozens of city blocks <laughs> of that. It's, it's but the, crazy. But the thing is, is there is real Bushwick that is a real neighborhood where real people live, right? It's just not this neighborhood that we call Bushwick on the air. I don't think I've been to that. Where is real Bushwick? I don't know. I, I know it's real. I know it's real. I don't know. Um, this is from Austin, who is in the Roberta-style Bushwick of L.A. at Major Domo, a fine restaurant. Um, I want to add texture to a carbonated uh, highball-style drink and thought that a fat wash with coconut oil would do the trick without adding much extra flavor. I know that Tona Palomino uh, did a carbo uh, peanut butter fat wash at WD-50 uh, back in the day, so I know it's possible. Can you walk me through the best practices for this technique? Actually, also, I know someone was having trouble with a peanut butter fat wash who came into the bar the other day. Um, the way Tona used... For those of you that you know, aren't like up on it, fat washing is where you transfer uh, a fat-soluble flavor in... Well, a fat to alcohol because uh, <clears throat> the flavors that are fat soluble are also in general weakly alcohol soluble. So you can add a fat which won't dissolve in the um, in the alcohol, but some of those flavors will be pulled all out of the fat into the alcohol. You can then freeze or or separate otherwise separate through filtration, uh, not through through, uh, through like a separatory funnel or something like this. You can separate the fat out. And you get a fat-free, but fat, like flavored from fat, uh, alcohol. Uh, in the case of peanut butter, you have to be careful because <clears throat> in peanut butter there are a lot of soluble things in it, right? So uh, if you just mix peanut butter and and um, uh, what's the word uh, like alcohol, right? You then have to use some pretty serious like centrifuging. Uh, or other forms of stuff to get it to settle out and become clear again because you're suspending stuff in the peanut other than just the fat, right? But you are doing fat uh, washing, and because there's very little moisture in peanut butter, if you're lucky, there's very little moisture, um, you're not, like, extracting a lot of liquids from the peanut. So it is a fat wash, but it's easy to get it, you know, kind of, like, murky. So the way Tony used to do it, which is I know not the most efficient way, but it, it you know works. Is he used to spread the peanut butter very 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 thin uh, on sheet trays and then pour a like a thin layer of alcohol over the peanut butter to get maximum surface and uh, area, and then he'd like you know move it back and forth and he'd do it that way, just maximizing the surface area uh, of the solid peanut butter rather than mixing it mixing it together, <clears throat> and that's how he was able to carbonate his peanut butter fat wash and get it you know nice nice and clear. Um, now if you're going to do coconut oil, I mean, I think the issue is, is you're going to want a, you know, you can't have the fat, the coconut oil in the, in the liquor cause, uh, coconut oil, specifically coconut oil, uh, gets very hard and clumpy when it gets cold, which is why <clears throat> if you buy coconut cream, which contains a lot of, you know, uh, the fat from the coconut, uh, it's super highly stabilized. If you read the back of a 
of a can of Nastasia Coco Lopez. It says, like, you know, it has, like, a million things in it. It's got, like, guar and LBG, carrageenan. I mean, I don't know exactly, but it's just a, a huge crap spray of stabilizers in it because if you speak to any hydrocolloids expert, they'll tell you coconut f- fat is a difficult fat to, uh, to stabilize in a beverage system because <clears throat> the temperature drops uh, and you're diluting, so it kind of clumps out. So... You're going to want mainly the flavor, but I don't know if coconut... I mean, have you ever had a coconut oil, Nastasia, that was like, oh my God, this tastes so much like coconuts that I want to die? No. Me neither. I mean, like, I think, like, if you were to take... There's some very high-quality flaked coconut now, or you could just grate coconut and remove some of the excess moisture so you're not, like, sucking a lot of that cloudy, like, you know, stuff into it, and then do a soak... <clears throat> and then what well, my favorite thing to do, my favorite thing to do nowadays is throw everything in the hydraulic press. That's why I'm going to rewrite a lot of my orja recipes for the uh, bar where I'm going to, and how often do you get to say this on a family show, I'm going to throw my nutsack into a press <laughs> and crush my nutsack under <laughs> 20 tons of pressure to squeeze every last little bit of juice out of my nutsacks <laughs> and get very high yield on my orjas. How often do you get to say that on Not a family often. show, Anastasia? You like that? Yeah. I'm gonna squash my nutsack in a press. <laughs> did I tell you? Did I t- talk on the air about the new uh, about the modifications I made to our 20 ton press? Yes. What did I say? So See, you I went didn't. to Granger and you got this thing. Granger? Where'd you get it from? I haven't been to Granger in years. What's the name? You don't place? listen to anything. I, I didn't do. buy anything from McMaster Car. I made it all from parts I scrounged. Nastasia Lopez, well-known jerk. I made a, a the, like a new lab where I have the you know this um, what's it called? I'm a member. Some idiot threw away like a thousand dollars worth of food grade Delrin, and so I just milled all the Delrin into. I used it like wood, but like a non-absorbent wood, and I built an old-school cider press out of solid Delrin. And then, so now, like, we have this Delrin cider press that we, we can use for all of our waffle, popcorn, and soon, nutsack crushing needs. What do you, what do you, what do you want to put in my nutsack and crush, Nastasia? <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, not going there? Many things. Many, many, many <laughs> things. Now, if you were to just soak coconut flakes, let's say, and not squeeze them out. I mean, the issue, I guess, if you had a very highly flavored coconut oil, you might be able to get some transfer, but it would need to be highly flavored. And the advantage of that is you'd have extremely low loss because once you froze the coconut oil, it would go up to the top. So you'd melt, you'd have to find a very highly flavored coconut oil. Let's just go through with it. You'd find a very highly flavored coconut oil. Then you would melt said coconut oil, <clears throat> mix it into the alcohol, keep it liquid, uh, and I would say stir it occasionally to get maximum surface area contact, right? So I would stir it, keep the convection going, what, whatnot, keep it for like, you know, eight hours, 10 hours overnight, <clears throat> then throw the whole sucker in the freezer. Coconut oil will turn solid like a rock and nothing will change it. Uh, the is still hot. Anyway, so then you poke a hole in the, in the solid coconut oil on the top and you pour out the coconut booze and it should work, right? But you have to find a highly flavored coconut or the effect will be, shall we say, subtle, right? Yeah. Because once you use coconut flakes, even desiccated coconut flakes, if you're going to get the yield up, 
you're going to need to squish them. And if you squish them, you're going to get the cloudy stuff out. You know what I mean? You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to have to separate it. I happen to know Austin has his spins all, so he could probably do some good separation on it. But I haven't done a lot of separation work with uh, squeezed out coconut sack. So I don't know whether it would work, so I can't say. Second question. I'm working on a gardenia syrup for a pearl diver. So gardenia syrup, by the way, a syrup... A tiki drink syrup that does not, in fact, contain gardenias. Can you eat gardenias? I don't. I thought they were poisonous. Are they? I so why are they naming a syrup after them if they're poisonous? Mm. So you're gonna look this up whether it's poisonous. Nastasi and I. Sure. By the way, <clears throat> Nastasi and I yesterday, after the radio program, we went to the Star Chefs and we met this guy. I'm not gonna blow up his spot, but he had all of these edible flowers. Remember this, Nastasi? Yeah. It all, wasn't yesterday. It was last week. That's what I'm saying. You said was it yesterday? Oh, sorry. Last radio show. Last Tuesday. Right. So Nastasi and I are going. And Nastasia put on her, like, Nastasia put on her, you could live, you could die, I don't care face, which is kind of her standard face. It's her standard, you know, like, if if a meteor was coming down and she knew it was going to hit you on the head, maybe she'd move you. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that. Gardenias are non-toxic to humans, but they're toxic to dogs, cats, and horses. It can cause vomiting, diarrhea, and hives in animals, but not people. What the hell is that all about? I don't know. You know what else apparently is that uh, like alliums apparently toxic to dogs. But do you know? Do you like? Do you believe all these stories where people say things are toxic for no. like? I mean, how different am I from a dog or a cat? I know chocolate. I know chocolate. Mm-hmm. I've heard alliums, but I mean, it could be true. I don't know. You know what's another thing that's not really poisonous? Mm-hmm. At least not that poisonous. Poinsettias. Did oh, you, really? Didn't you grow up yeah, in, the white. in mortal fear mm-hmm. of poinsettias? Mm-hmm. Your parents would be like, yes. you're gonna, you look at the poinsettia wrong, you will die. <laughs> yeah. And then you're like, and you're like, oh my God, now I want to eat it. Now I want to eat it. I'm going to eat this damn poinsettia. <laughs> yeah. What about you, Matt? Did you, like, did you grow up with this problem? I did not grow up with the problem. Really? Did, are you a Christmas guy? Am I a Christmas guy? Are you, are, you Christ, are you of Christian extraction? Oh, yeah. We did Christmas. But you, don't ha- you didn't have poinsettias? I... I I remember poinsettias in church. I don't know. But not like at your house? You didn't have poinsettias at your house? At my house? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I like uh, this. It's like, it's like, who has poinsettias in their house? <laughs> we had Who them. brings that poison into their house? <laughs> yeah, well, no. I just... I had a Christmas tree. That's what I got. Yeah? Are you a, are you a real Christmas tree guy, or you want a fake Christmas tree guy? We were real. What about you, Stas? Real. Yeah, yeah, real. I don't like the fake, cri- no. fake, fake, fake Christmas tree. <clears throat> you have one, though. No, I, I have a completely silver one next to my real one because as nice as a real tree is, it's not very reflective. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's for later. Although, pretty soon, it's going to be time to bust out... Christmas hat. Christmas hat, <laughs> Christmas music, Rudolph, all the stuff that Nastasi and I love. <laughs> yeah. It's the only thing Nastasi and I both no, actually there's like. Things. There's other things we like. What? Um, we like champagne. Ooh, yes. Also good to have at the holiday time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By the way, uh, so we had this argument with Jack, my head bartender. And so Jack is like, Jack's one of these classic kind of wine snob kind of guys who he's like only wants to drink stuff that you've never heard of. If you've heard of it, he does not want to drink that. But here's the problem. So he got a very good, reasonably priced, and the names went out of my head, champagne, actual champagne, to have at our bar, right? And the problem is is that if you want people to come into a bar and buy a champagne, you have to give them a champagne that they've heard of. If the idea of having a champagne on the menu is to extract money from people who wish to spend a, load of, a lot of money, 
you have to appeal to the person who has a lot of money, and in general, that person is going to go for the one they've heard of, not for the one they haven't heard of. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Mm. That is true. Do you serve champagne at your uh, no. restaurant? No. You have wine. You don't want to have a couple of fancy bottles around for fancy folk? I can't. <laughs> I can't. I can't even talk about it. All right. <laughs> for that heavy pour. <laughs> Nastasi is like Nastasi's like I don't care what you charge me, just make the poor heavy. No, 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 I'm talking about the, oh. yeah. Oh yeah, so Nastasia, <laughs> we're at I'm at the bar with Nastasia talking about a very exciting business development that I can't tell you. Uh, and so by the way, speaking of the other thing, like someone came up to the bar and asked me what it is your mom thinks happens to all the soda cans and I told them. That's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Can't tell you people. You should tell them when they come to the bar when I said the UPS person. <laughs> oh Jesus. If you come to the bar you can add, by the way, these are all things that are fair game at the bar, but are not fair game on the radio program. Nastasia went to UPS on Saturday, right? Yeah, and, and well, pay- we worked super hard, you and I. Yeah, we yeah. We worked yeah. hard yeah. Friday night. I worked hard Saturday morning. Same thing that we were sending. Yeah, and by the way, it was, <coughs> I'll say what we were sending. We were sending a spins all, so it's big. You know what I mean? And, and cocktails. And cocktails. As a demonstration of what the spins all can do. So now, Nastasia, who, by the way, like, if you had to list her top 10 things that she does not like to do, right? Mailing. Getting hit in the face with a hammer or shipping things, they're kind of equal. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, I, I feel like you it's. You feel the same way. I feel if someone say, said to you, I'm gonna hit you once in the forehead with a hammer. Or you'll never have to ship, and you'll never have to ship anything again. You'd be like, ooh, yeah. let me see the hammer. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, a rubber hammer. Yeah, yeah. Anyways, so she goes, goes, physically goes to the UPS with this giant box and drops it off, and they just didn't ship it. She paid an ungodly amount of money for overnight weekend shipping. Ungodly. Mm-hmm. Ungodly amount. And it was supposed to arrive yesterday. It was still sitting in the place yesterday. Can you imagine? So Nastasia had, let's shall we say, uh, shall we say, choice words, <laughs> choice words for them, that could, you know, what I mean? that could not be repeated and even on after, basic cable. And then after I said it, I had to get out of the store with the two boxes. Wait, wait you took them to a different mail? Yeah, because I was just like, I'm not dealing with you people. So, so what did the faces of the regular guests horrified? <laughs> But the embarrassing part is then I had the two boxes and the door opened in. Oh, jeez. I know, and I couldn't Did put it down. Did any of them help you? No. So oh, I used all of my strength and I, like, used one finger to pry the door open. It was like... You didn't use your Drew Barrymore fire starter <laughs> anger? No. I was surprised I could do it. Oh, my God. That's so funny. <laughs> I mean, let's just say... Let's just say the C-suck word came out <laughs> quite a bit. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. I mean, I would have loved to see, like, when, so Nastasia spends most of her time just kind of internalizing anger and getting other people to be angry in her stead or to have miserable times so that she can kind of keep herself under control. But on the rare occasions when Nastasia loses her mind, it is a rare treat for the rest of us. <laughs> Oh, jeez. All right, back to this. I am working on a gardenia syrup for a Pearl Diver riff. Ideally, I would like to be able to store the syrup in a squeeze bottle and keep it in the low boy at all times rather than having to keep it at room temp during service, back in overnight, and back out again. Uh, Do you have any advice for proportions of sugar to butter and possibly alcohol that would keep it squeezable at fridge temp or possibly some additive that would keep it from going solid on me? 
And uh, so, uh, P.S., I'll give you the Pearl Diver recipe that is on uh, the internet. I forget whose this is. I probably looked up somebody I liked, but probably, maybe not. I don't know. It's probably imbibed. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who the hell's recipe this is, but I'm going to give it to you anyway. Three-quarter ounce of lime juice, one ounce of uh, orange juice, three-quarters ounce of the gardenia mix, which is that, you know, mix we're about to talk about, three-quarters ounce of uh, Demerara uh, rum, preferably Hamilton 86 proof or El Dorado 8-year, one and a half uh, ounces of uh, gold Puerto Rican rum, half ounce of gold Jamaican rum. This is like a shotgun of stuff. One teaspoon of falernum. One teaspoon. One teaspoon, Nastasia, of falernum. One teaspoon. These recipes. Preferably Latitude 29 formula and six ounces of crushed ice. Combine all the ingredients in a blender, starting with the gardenia mix and finishing with the ice blend at high speed, 15 seconds. Strain through a medium uh, mesh wire sieve into a pearl diver glass, pressing gently on the solids to express all the liquid. Uh, add crushed ice to fill the glass. Garnish with a geranium leaf. What? Nothing. You hate this recipe? No. Yeah. Anyway, so then that's the recipe. But anyway, gardenia mix is... One cup of unsalted butter, one cup orange blossom honey. You know, that's going to be real subtle. The orange blossom honey is going to be real, whatever. I went to a honey store in Saratoga with Chef Haley from the Italian program. She's one of the, uh, the owners there. And they have this honey that we're going to use. Did I tell you about this? From the, 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 is there a black forest in Italy? I think it's a black, Italian black forest. Do they have a black forest in Italy? I don't know. Anyway, the, the honey is not extracted from pollen, but from honeydew, which is the... Uh, sap of plants processed through aphid bodies. It's pretty good. We're going to use it in a drink. Anyway, <clears throat> orange blossom honey, one ounce cinnamon syrup, a uh, half ounce of allspice liqueur, and a half ounce vanilla syrup. Uh, and you combine all the ingredients in a saucepan and whisk until melted and smooth. Uh, and so you have a butter syrup. The only answer to the first of all, butter syrup's always going to go solid on you. Um, what you need to do is you need to stabilize this sucker with uh, ticaloid. Uh, so ticaloid is a mixture of gum, Ar- ticaloid 210 or, two th- or 310 uh, are mixtures of gum arabic and xanthan. If you can't find that, you can just substitute a, um, a very finely powdered gum arabic and a kind of, uh, you know, rapid, either agglomerated or you know, high quality, strong xanthan gum. I forget the exact ratio, uh, that I use, be, it's in Liquid Intelligence, uh, and I think it's like four to one Arabic to Xanthan or something like this. I have the, I keep saying I have this, I'll look it up, but you want to stabilize it with Xanthan and Arabic. And the, the ratio is not really super important. You can add, add them separately. The Arabic is there, and it's there in higher quantities on the order of like, you know, 2% or something like this. The Arabic is there as an actual uh, emulsifier to emulsify the fat into the, into the liquid. And you're better off actually <clears throat> um, adding the sugar later, uh, adding the Arabic to the straight water before you add the sugar uh, in your cinnamon slash uh, g- you know ginger thing or whatever you're doing there, allspice, whatever it is, I can't remember. Uh, you're better off uh, adding the Arabic and xanthan into that and then adding the butter to emulsify it in and then adding the sugar. But, you know, you can do it either way. Um, so the Arabic is there on the order of a couple of percent. Uh, to actually emulsify the butter in so that it makes a stable emulsion when you're making the drink. The, um, the other part, the, the, the xanthan gum, is there at a much smaller percent. You're talking like below a half a percent, probably closer to a quarter of a percent. 
and that is there to just make a light gel when it's sitting still just so that it doesn't want to separate because it's fundamentally a solid when it's standing still. So that's what the two things are doing there. Now, uh, I would not use a squeezy for this syrup. First of all, um, uh, having made butter syrups for many, many years, they do go rather solid in the fridge. They can still be squeezed, squeezed. Uh, but if you're, if you're going to want to do that, you're probably going to have to add more liquid, reduce it down more to get it to squeeze more because it does kind of solidify or get kind of real thick at, at lower temperatures. But a squeeze bottle is not the answer, and I'll tell you why. A, unless you're going to free pour, which you're probably not with a squeeze bottle because, it, you know, the, the viscosity is going to change a, a lot, you're, you're going to go into a jigger. And this syrup is going to be real hard to get out of a jigger. So what we do at existing conditions with our cream syrup, which is also not very pumpable, is we um, put it into a, a dosed pump. So we have pumps that put out exactly an ounce. And so the drink that we use this pump for has exactly an ounce of this syrup in it. And every time you push down, you get exactly an ounce. And we've tested it. It's accurate. Much more accurate than trying to jigger something that thick. And the pumps that we get are like syrup pumps, like for a Tarani syrup, and they fit on Gatorade bottles. The ones we have fit on Gatorade bottles. So we have Gatorade bottles with the syrup pumps on it, and we push down on them and get a very accurate dose again and again and again. If you wanted a smaller dose, they make smaller pumps, or you can just put a ring around the pump so that you can't push it all the way down, and you get your dose that way by saying, and they make very expensive volumetric pumps, but this is the super cheap way to do it. And we've been using them for uh, a long time without any trouble. Now, long time meaning four months. But you can pump it from the fridge. Uh, you know, it's just a lot thicker in the fridge. The one thing I say is that the only reason I can see wanting to keep this in, uh, not, you know, not have it out is because you're worried about Department of Health because ain't nothing going to go wrong with that syrup sitting out. Uh, I know this because... I've done it. Like, it doesn't go bad sitting out, going in and out, out of the fridge. And as long, I think the main problem with using these kinds of syrups on the regular and a higher volume bar is really the, um, is really just the jiggering, is, is, a, is a complete and utter nightmare. Also, cleaning creamy tins out is a little bit of a nightmare, which is why eventually we're going to do a, uh, you know, a special menu called Creamy Tins that is only creamy drinks. What, about, what do you think about creamy tins, Nastasia? Your favorite superhero is coming back. Which one? Not Rebecca. What? Oh, uh, you want to describe that? So, so, uh, so here's what here's what happens, people. Like uh, now, now it was not that bad. So I like to call people get mad at me because anything that I'm involved with or people around me are involved with, I make fun of, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, you know, I like to belittle anything that I do or anything that anyone I know does, right? Mm-hmm. In a kind of friendly, loving way. So I had to do uh, this event, and I started describing this event as a complete boondoggle. And so Rebecca, who does PR for Booker and Dax, I was like, Nastasia, what the hell? Rebecca's taking us on a freaking boondoggle. And so Nastasia, because she loves nothing more than people feeling bad, tells Rebecca that I have described this, this series of events as a boondoggle. And then Rebecca gets real depressed about it. And so Nastasia starts laughing about it to me. So then we start calling her the boondoggler. And that's her, 
That's her like bat villain name. Her Avengers name. Her Avengers name is the Boondoggler. So like when she she's a good guy, what she does is is she takes the villains and she sends them off on this wild goose chase doing all this stuff instead of killing people. And they're like, I could have been killing people and you had me at this damn event. The Boondoggler. And so like now Nastasia has been, you know. Oh my god. Oh, by the way. So she's coming on. Oh yeah. Soon, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So uh, so we do not know. We know Bob's Red Mill is our sponsor today, but we don't know what ad that we're going to theoretically play once this thing goes uh, on, uh, you know, on the whatever in the hell it's on on Dude, the internet. It actually is a very well-timed xanthan gum ad. Really? Fact. You were so, just like, you're so intuitive that you just nailed it. All right. Well, so then uh, we will take a break. You can listen to some Bob's Red Mill stuff. I will have you know that I'm experimenting now. If you guys have any ideas in the chat room, uh, Bob's Red Mill sent me to mess with some amaranth flour and some uh, sweet sorghum flour. So sorghum, very interesting, uh, very interesting grain. Uh, you know, in the greater class, I guess people, it's not actually millet, but people call it kind of great millet. Millet is one of those like poly, you know, it, it has no real meaning. It's just a whole bunch of small grains that aren't really related. They're all in the grass family, right? But they're not, you know, I guess... They're real grains, though. They're in the grass family. So sorghums are uh, super interesting because they can be used to make sugar. They were uh, they're native and were um, domesticated in uh, in Africa. Uh, they're, they're, so there's regular sorghums like baking sorghums. There's sweet sorghums. So Bob's Red Mill has sent me some sweet sorghum flour and some amaranth, and I got to play around with it to try and find an interesting application to talk to you about in the next couple of weeks. So if any of you in the chat room have some recommendations for sorghum flour that aren't just substitute this in your newest gluten-free recipe because you know how interesting is that i want a recipe that just is screaming for sorghum not you know a recipe where you could use sorghum or you could use this other thing instead so give me some suggestions because i'm playing around with it over the next week and with that let's go to break bring you our Bob's Red Mill Food Fact of the Week. Xanthan gum is a thickener and a stabilizer. So xanthan, it's, it's produced by fermentation and it has incredible thickening ability, but it doesn't just thicken, it actually forms a weak gel that, but then can move around. And that's why it's so great in, um, in gluten-free and also in egg replacing because it can hold uh, batters and doughs. But xanthan is great to have around. You're going to want to use it typically in lower percentages if you're using it in sauces below about one quarter of one percent. Uh, and also, after you add xanthan gum, give it a couple minutes to hydrate before you add more because it's going to keep getting thicker over the next five, ten minutes. So don't add some. Be like, that didn't get thick, and then add more. Thanks to Bob's Red Mill for supporting cooking issues. Visit bobsredmill.com to shop their huge range of products. Use Cooking Issues 25 for 25% off your order. That's Cooking Issues 25, no spaces, 25 is a number. Go. And we're back. So uh, this weekend it was kind of, uh, it was like classic me, right? So like, I'm going up, I'm driving up, I go to Connecticut, and I'm like, okay, I do what I always do, I buy chicken thighs, because I'm like, ah, I know how to, it's like, you know, 
it's the kind of thing where you know it's two a.m. or it's four or five a.m. You you punch me in the side. I <gasps> wake up and you're like, eh, make these chicken thighs. You're like, okay, <laughs> you know what I mean? And like you know, you just make chicken thighs. You know what I'm saying? Okay. It's one of those things that like you know. You can do in your sleep. If you were to take, if you were to remove my entire cerebral cortex and leave my brainstem, my body could still cook chicken thighs. You know what I mean? Uh, in this particular way that I, you know, I always make them. And, um, so I'm like, okay, well, you know, Jen's like, I don't want you to have to think, she doesn't talk like that, she's like, I don't want you to have to think, make chicken thighs. So I get the chicken thighs, and I'm making them, and then I realize that, and this is the first time this has ever happened, it was raining like cats and dogs, so I'm like, I'm not gonna use my cowboy grill, I'm gonna use the tandoor, because my tandoor is partially covered, right? But I'm like, okay, so I go to get the coal, no coal. I had no more charcoal left. So I was like, what the hell am I going to do? And then I realized that I have been remiss in that I have not set up any of my fireplaces for cooking. So if you have a, and here's something that is true fact. If you have a small, relatively small fireplace and, and you have a fire in it, damn, the radiant heat coming off that thing burns the hell out of your hands when you're trying to hold when you're trying to hold skewers of meat, if you don't have a, a meat skewer holder and you are holding in there the whole time, A, turns out your forearms and shoulders get pretty tired holding chicken thighs in front of a fire for a long time. And B, uh, the reflected heat is pretty no joke. Me, 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 uh, well, Nastasia, you also have a fireplace. No, it's just fake. No, I know. It's just made of fiberglass. Of yeah, no, well, I made you get rid of that son of a gun because you made me move it so many times. So uh, if anyone out there has a cool, like, regular residential fireplace cooking conversion kit, I'd like to see it. Because, like, uh, it's fun cooking in your fireplace. It's just a real pain in the butt if you're not set up to do it. You know what I mean? No, I don't. Also, no, I don't. I don't have a fireplace. Manny Nanny Poo Poo. Says the person who, like, you know, oh, they, we don't have a fireplace at my timeshare in the Hamptons that I go to all summer. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> jerk. For a month, and I got to go once a week. But I did do a, a day a week. I did do a demented thing. I tried to do, uh, so you know how I put mayonnaise on everything that I grill? Mm-hmm. Not on chicken, actually, but I put mayonnaise on a lot of stuff. So I did the I did the par steamed uh, whole whole heads of broccoli on a skewer, and it, it's ended up poorly for me, right? So I was like, I want to put this broccoli on a skewer. I don't want to like I'm not going to skewer a bunch of pieces of broccoli because they're going to fall off. So I'm going to par steam the whole head and stick it on the skewer. I thought I was being real smart, so I was like, I'm putting the skewer backwards so the hook is in the broccoli, so the hook is locking the broccoli so that I can rotate it, right? So I'm manipulating the sharp side of the stick, right? And I put mayonnaise, I par-steamed it, salt, pepper, a little bit of sugar, and mayonnaise. Short answer, it was delicious grilled broccoli with the mayonnaise coating on the outside because the mayonnaise was like dripping off into the, into the fire, but enough stayed on that it was like delicious. Anyway, it ended up being a good call, except for this. I, I ran my hand to go get it, and I shoved it into the skewer, and I tandoor skewered my hand, and I started bleeding all over the floor at the house. And I was like, of course I did. Of course this is, of course. You know what I mean? And, and what did Booker do? Uh, call you his idiot father? He started, he started laughing uncontrollably because mm. I was bleeding all over the floor. Let me tell you something. Having your son laugh at you while you're bleeding over the floor and burning your other hand trying to keep chicken aloft in a fireplace makes for fun times. <laughs> fun times. 
Uh, okay, question. Uh, I've been. Enjo- this is from Anand. I've been enjoying your podcast. Uh, thoughtful, thoughtful information, antics, and uh, wonderfully meandering conversations for several years now. I now have a question I could use your insight on. I recently had a gas stove installed in my house, and uh, it is a considerable upgrade from my previous electric contraption. I'm assuming if it's a huge upgrade that what you had before was either a ceramic top, which are garbage, or a resistance heater style top, also garbage. I hate all of them. Uh, Man, do I hate them. Uh, Even the quartz ones, I hate. Um, However, my current... Like induction. Induction's good. Uh, however, my current ventilation situation leaves much to be desired. Honestly, I'm not sure the current hood does anything at all, and it certainly doesn't look like it vents outside. I've heard Dave, uh, heard Dave mention in passing that proper ventilation is often overlooked and undervalued, so I wanted to solicit your thoughts here. How important is proper ventilation and why? I have two young children, a five-year-old and a two-year-old, and so I have no desire to be careless with what they inhale while I cook. That said, I am unsure where the line is between cautious and alarmist. Your insight would be greatly appreciated. Uh, on a separate note, Nastasia, uh, the beta male conversation has been amusing. If an alpha male is the leader of the pack, then let's consider how many of our previous presidents, the most visible and arguably most powerful leaders in our country, have exhibited stereotypi- stereotypically alpha male tendencies, e.g. chest beating and assertions of dominance. Uh, interestingly, the current president exhibits those characteristics in spades. So what do you think about What do you think about that? Is that what you want? You want that? No, I just want confidence and swagger. Like, I don't want a doormat. And then Anand says, it can be difficult to give respect to someone who acts like a doormat, yet the fact that such people don't demand respect doesn't indicate that they don't deserve respect. Okay. Look, this is just about, like, what I want. I, I have, like... I run businesses. I don't want to come home to a doormat. So I want someone to be assertive, confident, have swagger, be really nice. That's it. Like, so it's like what Nastasia wants, what she needs, whatever ha- makes you happy, sets you free? Yes. What a girl want <laughs> Anyway, um, all right. I don't know. I think that, like, look, we beat you down pretty hard you last did. week with the beta male thing. And honestly, this I is, think beta males are for lots of this women. This has never happened. Great women. You get your many beta of males. My, many of my friends are beta many males. Of my, many of my friends are married to beta males. <laughs> and the beta male says, yeah, I'm a beta male. And I have nothing against like, beta males. I like them. Some of my friends. A, yeah. I had a beta male as a drummer once. <laughs> did you? No. <laughs> Um, <laughs> Sounds like you did. No. Who the hell has ever heard of a whatever? No. Anyway. <laughs> I had a drummer once that used to troll around the studio picking butts up off the ground and seeing whether he could get high off of them. Yeah, that like right? Yeah. Okay. So on to uh, Anand's question. Uh, I had a bunch of drummers who thought they drummed well when they were drinking. Oh. That's the beginning of his question. No, no. Yeah. yeah so we're so we're on uh, we're on this. So how important is ventilation? Well, I think a lot depends on your on your cooking style, right? So Harold McGee at the Harvard uh, talked about um, some new research that is coming out showing that uh, oil particles, uh, like you know when you're frying, like m- microscopic oil particles stay in the air for a long time. So when you're volatilizing oil, which happens in a lot of high temperature heat things, this stuff is staying in the air for a long, long time. Uh, 
you know, as to, and I think new new studies are coming out all the time, kind of relating uh, relating um, this to problems that are happening in the kitchen. That said, we've been cooking this way for a long, long, long time. So, is it harmful? Probably. Should you have good good ventilation? Yes. Uh, I think the jury is out as to kind of what the long term problems will be. Um, but that's not to say that there aren't kind of long-term <coughs> problems. Um, in other words, it's probably the oil, the oil fumes are probably as bad. Everyone freaks out when there's smoke in the kitchen, right? Which is still, I just do not understand. You know what I mean? People who smoke, people who smoke cigarettes get like freaky when like your kitchen fills with smoke. And I, I, in, my, you know, in my mind, I'm always like, why don't you shut up? Because the smoke's going to be gone in a minute, and then you can eat this delicious food that I can't really make without generating this smoke. And everyone freaks out. Everyone freaks out about the smoke. And it's because they perceive smoke as harmful. It's probably the oil vapors are probably more harmful. Like the, the, the microscopic oil vapors are probably more harmful to you than the little bit of smoke you're getting from, you know, cooking your steak. Um... They're not as accurate, and they probably don't hurt your eyes as much, but they're probably just as dangerous. But, you know, I'll speak to McGee the next time I speak to him. Uh, I mean, look, I'm not going to stop cooking kind of traditional high-temperature cooking because that's the way that I like to, to do it um, until somebody tells me that it's as bad as, you know, being a, a regular cigarette smoker. But... Uh, on the other hand, I would always go err on the side of trying to get good ventilation because it a it's going to be better for your lungs. Uh, I mean, there were some studies back in the day, especially on people who cook over high heat all the time. The classic studies about ten years ago or so or more were on women in China cooking over woks, uh, having um, certain forms of of uh, cancer at a higher rates than other people do. Um, but I mean, good ventilation, I think, is going to become more and more important as these things become more and more. Well, it's going to be realized how important they are more and more as people kind of realize how damaging a lot of these kind of suspended vapors are and how prevalent they are. You ever wonder why, like, all of your pots and pans get a coating of grease on them in, in your in your in your house or your apartment or why the ceiling gets a coating of grease on it, uh, even at a relative distance from your oven? That polymerized grease, right? is in the particles that are being generated while you're cooking. So all that stuff that's settling on your ceiling over the course of, uh, you know, hours and hours, it's not just while you're cooking, it's hours and hours. That stuff is kind of settling in your lungs and, you know, settling in your system. What effect it's going to have over time, I think it's just now being researched, you know, who knows? I would say go for good ventilation if you can. I think that it's one of the main things that uh, hasn't been caught caught up with you know like we need to get good ventilation in in our kitchens and as more and more people who care about their health become uh you know cooks maybe people will worry about it more maybe buildings will be built with good ventilation but uh if you have a a a, a hood that does not vent you that is just a recirculating hood you must if you want the quality air quality to be good uh first of all get a serious one they make serious ones they make ones that you can fry indoors with but you need real hardcore filters and real hardcore fans to make those things work. And you need to change the activated charcoal consistently and often, which people don't do either. People are usually change it rarely, uh, you know, 
and almost never in some cases. And then they become functionally useless. Uh, you, know, you might as well have nothing. Uh, better to just take the extra time and energy and punch a hole through the side of your building or through your roof, put a big old honking fan on the outside. It's going to be a lot quieter. Is there anything more irritating than uh, than one of those home fans over the thing? Hearing your neighbor's shower. Well, especially your neighbors showering the way that what they do in the shower is unconscionable. But uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, Nastasia has unpleasant sh- whatever. I don't want to get into it. <clears throat> but like that noise, that high pitched noise of uh, of the the company that everyone used to get is Brone. Brone. Uh, uh, they're cheap, but that listen to this. So. The, the pitch, the pitch that a, a motor makes is directly related to its speed, right? So most AC motors are a certain, um, a certain multiple of 60 cycles, right? And the smaller a fan is to move a large amount of air, the faster it needs to spin. And so it has this high-pitched noise because it has to spin so fast to push the air, right? This is why you're always better off, and, and they have to make the fan small because they're fitting it into something that's sticking over your oven or over your range. So the real answer is you want to put that fan outside so that the fan can be much bigger. And if the fan's much bigger, it can rotate much slower. If it rotates much slower, it has a much lower pitch and softer pitch. And any day of the week, I will chain, I will trade for cooking issues. She didn't even say that about. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.